Okay, good evening. Wednesday night Bible study. Daniel, the book of Daniel, part 2. So let's open in prayer. Lord God, we just again give you thanks and praise and glory. We thank you for this evening bringing us together, Lord. Uh, for those that are here in person, those that are listening via podcast, Lord, we thank you that uh, you lead us into our study tonight. Help us to get understanding and application out of Daniel in these uh, dreams tonight that we're going to, particular dream that we're going to look at. And so, Father, I just thank you for those that are here and those that are on their way, those that couldn't make it, Lord, or recuperating. We just thank you that you're with us wherever we're at, Lord. And so, Father, in this, we just give you thanks, praise, and glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, just a little recap that Daniel is, it's historical narrative, but it's also about dreams and visions. And last week, just as a visual, uh, we talked about this Jerusalem, this is Israel right here. There's a spot of land there. Here's where Babylon is over here. So that's where they're taking in captivity in Babylon. It's kind of like present day uh, Saudi Arabia. And that's uh, where uh, Babylon is. The ruins of Babylon are, are still there. And here's Memphis, where Elvis lives. <laughs> I always thought that was strange. It was a Memphis, Egypt, you know. <laughs> but you know, a lot of a lot of names of cities came from Europe and the Middle East and stuff. You know, you travel around, you don't realize they they came from someplace else. So, but that's just a visual, so you kind of know what's going on there with that. And I just do that to appease Diego because he wants me to do things like this. Anyway. <laughs> so, remember that um, chapters 2, we're going to just do chapter 2 today, but chapter 2 to chapter 7 deal with the Gentiles, other people, not necessarily Jewish people. So it's going to deal with some historical stuff, and we're going to get into some of that tonight. Uh but then when you get to chapters 8 to 12, it's specifically talking about Israel and their return to the land. So we're going to be dealing with dreams and visions and stuff that concern the Gentile nations. A lot of times people think, well, the Old Testament is just about the Jews and all that. No, it's not. It's, it's about a, a lot of different things in, in, you know, in the other nations and things and what God is doing there. So... Uh, We'll see uh, what he has for us tonight. Uh, so, any questions or anything from last week before you get started? Okay, so, chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. It says, Now the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the kings gave orders to call, then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. So he had a troubling dream, but more than the troubling dream, we're going to find out he wakes up, he really has trouble remembering the dream. But he knows he was troubled by the dream. And so we're going to see in a, in a, in a second that 
he has trouble remembering the dream. Does that ever happen to you? Yes. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, right? So you wake up and go, you, you think, oh, I'm going to remember this. This was so, and then, you know, by the time you're done brushing your teeth, it's like, what was the dream? I can't remember the dream. So he's got this dream, but notice what the king does. He calls, uh, he gave orders to call the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. Chaldeans are just, they're Babylonian magicians. They're, they're just singled out differently. They're called Chaldeans, but they're, they're magicians. And so these are the people that are advising him. Pretty much like in the White House today, right? <laughs> so, uh, you know, not the best of, of people, but uh, um, so he says to tell the king his dreams. And so the king stood before him. The king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. So he's, he wakes up and he's agitated. The king is agitated. And you know, you don't want to get the king agitated, right? Because it could be, who knows what could, where, the, where the king could take that. So that's the preface for everything we're going to read. The king has a dream. He's agitated. He really can't remember it. But he wants to remember that dream. And he wants an interpretation of that dream. And so, you know, we don't know for sure, but the text also kind of leans towards the idea that he might have had similar dreams. So it's funny, kind of like, why do I keep dreaming this sort of thing? You know, the text kind of alludes to that in the original Aramaic, but it's it's not definitive. So, But anyway, he wakes up here and he's got this dream, can't remember it, and he's troubled. So this is what he does. So then the Chaldeans spoke to the king. These are magicians, right? Spoke to the king in Aramaic. Remember I told you this part was written in Aramaic because that was the language of the, of the, of the people over there. It says, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants and we will declare the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The command for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your house houses will be made rubbish, heap. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. So right there, hold it there for a second. So there we get clarification. Because they said, okay, king... Tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it is. And the king says, no, you, you, you don't get it. I want you to tell me the dream and give me the interpretation. See, they could, the king could say, well, I had this dream and it was yada, yada, yada. And they could come up with any other thing, right? And so the king says, no, you tell me the dream and its interpretation. And the king's pretty pretty adamant about this. So there's a lot of pressure here because they realize they're they're between a rock and a hard place. It's almost a no-win situation for them. So verse 7. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell the dream to his servants and we will declare the interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time inasmuch as you have seen that the command... For me is firm that if you do not make the dream known to me there is only one decree for you 
for you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king, inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldeans. Basically, he's telling the king, you're out of your mind asking for this. Nobody can do this. You know, that's not a career, good career move, you know, to be saying this to the king. Because with the king, it's, you know, it's thumbs up or thumbs down, right? Uh, verse 11, Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except God's, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious, and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill him. Now remember, going back to last week, Daniel and his buddy Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as their names were changed, they were brought into the king's palace because they were bright, there was the wisdom, they were the fairest of the fair, they were noble, and they were brought in and they were trained and they were now brought into the king's service. So they're part of this group of people. And so when these magicians and conjurers and sorcerers tell the king, we can't do this, the king says, off of the heads of all of them, including Daniel. Daniel was not present, nor was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were not there. But they suffered the consequence of this. So, the king, you know, I read this and I, and I kind of picture in my mind, you know, okay, if this was a movie, this would, this would make a great movie. You know, okay, who's going to play the king? And how mad is this guy? And, you know, how upset is he? You know, and, you know, could be throwing stuff around. He's just so frustrated. I mean, how do you get so frustrated that, you, that you're willing to kill all of the wise men? I mean, think about it. If he kills all the wise men, who's left? Manny Moe and Jack, right? Mm-hmm. No, no offense to Manny Moe or Jack. <laughs> Here. So, thoughts, questions, concerns? Uh, kind of makes me wonder. Uh, did Nebuchadnezzar actually remember his dream and just really wanted it interpreted? Or um, no, that struck me too. <laughs> but that is sort of a little debate because you could read it and say, okay, well, maybe he was just trying to make sure they're giving him a good interpretation. But the, the other stuff that I've read on on, on this said, no, most likely he did not remember it. You know. But then these wise guys could come up with any kind of story and tell the king. Yeah, they could come up with anything. So he might be protecting, hedging his bed, as they say, Mm -hmm. quite possibly. But he's adamant. He he wants to know what's up with his dream. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Sorcerers, magicians. Was Satan involved in any of this? Sorcerers, magicians... 
Well, he's he's stuff. not serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So yeah, he's out of that scope. But in that in that realm, and even going back several hundred years earlier in uh, in Egypt, you you had the same thing. You, you had the court magicians and stuff. They were the ones because they could do stuff that other people couldn't do. And so if you can do something and you can fool somebody and they don't know how you do it, you can get elevated, especially when you're dealing with people that aren't very sophisticated. Again, because back in those days, if they couldn't understand anything, they turned it into a god. That's why they, they, they worshipped uh, mistletoe. They actually worshipped mistletoe because they could not, they, they realized it, what, it was not planted. It would just show up on the oak tree. And so it, it showed up on the oak tree, and, and, and it, they, they said, oh, this is wonderful. This, this is something from the gods. And, you know, and so they worshipped it, and they, they would put it in their house, and they would call it all heals. They said, if you walk under it, it will heal all your ailments because it's from God and whatever. And so that's how the mistletoe thing got. And then Christianity came and said, oh, no, 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 we can't have that. Then they turned it in and said, well, if you kiss somebody under the mistletoe, you know, they, they tried to do that thing with it. But that's where mistletoe came from. It was worshipped. And it's that that's a form of Wicca, which is a form of witchcraft. Wicca, witches, uh, worship nature. They say we're not evil, but they worship nature. They worship creation, not the creator. So going back to your initial question, is Satan involved in here? Quite possibly, yeah. Because there's, there's an absence of God. So if there's an absence of God, who's, who's going to fill the void? Egyptians worship cats. Yes, yeah. Interesting, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, and all that stuff, you just look at all the stuff that they used to bury in there, with them in their tombs for the afterlife, you know. So, any other thoughts, questions, comments? Verse 14 to 18. Enter, enter Daniel's stage right. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. Now think about this for a second. This guy is going to slay the wise men of Babylon in Daniel with discretion and discernment to the captain, the king's bodyguard who had gone forth to slay the wise men. He, he said, okay, wait, wait, hold it here. I got, I got a thought. I got a thought. Right? He answered and said to Arioch, the king's commander, for what reason is a decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, this is a Hebrew name, Hananiah, Mishael, and uh, Azariah, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as their names were changed by Nebuchadnezzar, about the matter, in order that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Just based on that little snippet there of Daniel, what is your impression of Daniel? He goes, uh, he takes charge and he 
he seeks God first. He takes charge, he seeks God first. What else? I have the word risk. I don't know why. Just It just seems like he's around a lot of people that, that could be dangerous. I don't know. Well, yeah, you know, you, you, you see the thumbs up or thumbs down, so you never know from day to day how it's going to go. You know, if, if the king is if the king is is really hot tempered and, and whatever, yeah, you know, heads could roll one day and the next day he's all, you know, it's party time. So yeah, there is there's a certain risk involved in, in being in that position. Uh, what else? He already had the strong trust of the king. I mean, he went right to the king and said, hey, give me a little bit of time here, please. So it says something that's not necessarily in the text, but obviously Daniel had some sort of favor with the king that he could go to the king. Because that's not a normal process. So we don't know if Daniel had interpreted dreams before. We don't know that. We know he is an interpreter of dreams, but we don't know if prior to this, he did, you know, interpret dreams. But yeah, we find out that Daniel has favor with the king, even though the king's going to slay him. So he puts God first. He shows leadership. Uh, he has he has favor with the king. What else? Bold. Bold. Yeah, he's bold. He's he seems very very confident. He seems very sure of himself. Not not arrogant or cocky, but it's like, you know, when you know that. Okay, God. Obviously, he's coming from a standpoint that he knows God is with him. Right. So, if you know God is with you, does that change the way you approach things? Yes. Sure, it does. Right. So he's 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 not somebody that's doubting the existence of God. He's not someone that's wrestling with that. He's 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 not someone that that is is worried or concerned that uh, God wouldn't wouldn't act on his behalf. But what else does he do? Oh, he goes to his other friends who are yeah. believers. He goes to the other believers, and and he gathers them together and says, "Let's all pray together." Right. So he's not a lone ranger. He's not trying to be a lone ranger. He's saying Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or as, who, who did Jesus have? Peter, James, and John. He was always taking Peter, James, and John. You know, that inner circle. And so uh, here, here is Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Others that were in that position with him. Uh, you know, you could very well say these, these men were, were boys, really. Were, were worshipers of God. They knew who God was and they're praying that uh, so that Daniel and his friends might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So right there in those small little verses, you know, you, you, you get a, a picture of who Daniel is. And so next week when we're reading about the lion's den, you'll, you'll understand because we're going to find out more about Daniel next week, but this just adds to our overall picture of Daniel and, and who he is and why God used him and how God used him. Uh, any other thoughts on Daniel for now? 
Okay. Now, verse 19 to 23, look at this and tell me what you think this is. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. A night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, That the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. And it is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings, establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To thee, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for thou hast given me wisdom and power. Even now thou hast made known to me what we requested of thee, for thou hast made known to us the king's matter. What's going on here? What do you what do you see in the text? What do you It appears that something in the night was revealed to him in the form of a vision and that vision came from God. Mm-hmm. And based off of the vision that God gave to Daniel, Daniel is now expressing what he learned from that vision. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what I'm getting mm-hmm. from this. Right? What else? Also, he he's praising God and honoring Him um, for spite of the God without mm-hmm. thinking about the interpretation, but just praising God because He knew that. I wonder if the stories of the wonderful works that God did for the Israelites were passed down, mm-hmm. and so He is praising God knowing that he is the God of um, mighty works and answering prayer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What else? I have a question. Sure. I don't know if your Bible has it like this, but is yours, when he reads, or when he says that part, it's written in like a, almost yeah, the like way that's Psalms that's is that's written. Yeah. That's poetry. So it's okay, it's that's a poetry a, and or slash a song. Okay. A psalm. Yeah. So, and he's actually quoting... The Psalms here. Okay, I was gonna say, is he doing it like you know how you see the Jews? Most likely, like we, we we don't know, but yeah, very well could be something like that. But he's 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 using scripture, and he's using it in a form of praise to uh, uh, um, uh, 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 give thanks to God. So, could you use this? as a model or an outline for prayer? Absolutely. Because he acknowledges who God is. He goes to God. He he brings others with him. And he acknowledges who God is. And and, uh, when he receives what it is that he had asked for, he immediately thanks God. But in thanking God, he's acknowledging who God is. He says, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. That's in several of the Psalms. For wisdom and power belong to him. You know, that's in, in, in Chronicles, that's in Job. So he's saying wisdom and power belong to God. So if any 
if wisdom and power is distributed or given, it comes from God. He changes the, the, the times, right? He says it's, it's God who's interacting in history, right? So in other words, let there be light didn't end God's participation. God is still active and involved. So how does this affect our prayer life? We're knowing that God is active and involved, right? So when we pray to God, knowing that he is active and involved. Uh, he removes kings and establishes kings. So he knows that even though Nebuchadnezzar is not serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's not following Yahweh, he's in that position because of God. God's using Nebuchadnezzar. And there's many instances of ungodly people that God has used, you know, in a certain way, you know, and uh, uh, um, to get his, 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 what he's doing done. It says, he gives wisdom to wise men, knowledge to men of understanding. Now, knowing who Daniel is, Daniel was called out because he was wise and he was of understanding. Well, Daniel's saying, that comes from God. Daniel's not taking credit of that. You know, he says, that comes from God. Uh, he says he reveals the profound and the hidden things. Right? So in other words, God is illuminating. So in terms of this 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 uh, dream that we're going to get to in a second, there's a profound aspect to this dream, you know, uh, of, of what God's doing, and we'll see it in a, in a couple of minutes when we read it. Let's see. Reveals the hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness. Because he is the light. So in other words, nothing can hide from God. So again, this is theology. This is who is God. Nothing can hide from God. God knows it's in the darkness. God is the light. Uh, to thee, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for thou hast made, given me wisdom and power. Because he says, you know, who does, who does that come from? It comes from God. And he says, I have it because God has seen fit to give it to me. And he's thanking God for it. Even thou hast made known to me what we requested of thee, for thou hast made known to us the king's matter. What's going on? So again, in, the, in from 14 to 23, you get a good sharp picture of who Daniel is, and then you, you, you get how he responds to God, and then you get you get aspects of, of who God is. Just in those... You know, so when you, when you read scripture like that, you know, mine it, look for it. You know, it's like you know, I like watching those 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 gold rush shows, you know, up in the Klondike and all that stuff. You know, once upon a time there was very easy gold to get. It was almost on on the surface. And by the way, if you ever go up north um, through the through the mother low country, there's things there that they will tell you. That in the California gold was so rich at one time that after rainstorms they literally found veins of gold in the dirt that you could pull veins of gold out. That's how easy it was. And so then after they got that stuff down, then they got you know the smaller chunks or whatever. And now what they're going after is that very very fine, but there's still gold. But it's, it's like God's word. There's some stuff we can get real easy right off the surface. But then there's others, we, we, in a sense, we're mining for it. We're, we're, we're digging it up. Look at it. It's there. 
it's it'll be revealed to you. So that's just a theological aspect out of that. And then you get a model for prayer there. Any thoughts, questions on that? Good? Okay. 24 to 30. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Notice with an exclamation point there. Take me into the king's presence and I will declare the interpretation of the king. Notice how this is written. This is very bold. Right? Stop what you're doing. Don't kill anybody. Don't do any of this. Take me into the king's thing. I'm going to give him the interpretation. I'm going to give him what he asked for. Right? Then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. Notice he says, I have found. <laughs> oh, king, I am so humble before thee. I have found someone, oh, king. Right? Verse 26. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Balthazar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? So he's clear again. I want the dream and the interpretation. I don't want nothing less. Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, musicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. Hold it right there. Notice what he does. He basically says, these magicians, these guys, forget about it. But there is a God in heaven, a God that he prays to. So he's witnessing to the king, right? He's showing him who who God is. He's not going in there and saying, okay, I can do this. He's going in there boldly and he's saying, you know, basically, my God, the God whom I pray to, uh, is, is the one who's given me the interpretation of this. Not your people, not the ones that you've been using, but my God. Is, is doing this. And then, notice this about the dream. He's going to tell you stuff that's going to happen in the latter days. So in other words, he says he's going to tell you things that are going to happen after your reign. In the latter days. After him. And this is going to become more, more apparent as we uh, uh, get closer. And by the way, when Daniel was written... None of the stuff that he's about to talk talk about was 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 on the radar. None of the stuff was was happening. It was all years later, and we're gonna, we're going to see that as we read it. Verse twenty nine to thirty. Before we stop here, as for you, O King, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future, and He who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. So, in other words, He knows. The king is thinking about his throne. He's thinking about what's going to come after me. Where is this going? What's going to happen to my kingdom? Right? What's 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 going to happen? 
Verse 30, But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than in any other living man, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. Whoa. He says, God is going to reveal you to you. So what he's saying. He's going to show, God is going to reveal these mysteries. He's going to, he's, he's going to show you what you're really thinking about. What you're really concerned about. Verse 30 again. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom. In other words, he says, this, I'm, I'm not getting anything out of this. This doesn't pertain to me one bit. But it's, it's all about you, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, for me, any wisdom residing in me more than any other living man. But for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king that you may understand the thoughts of your own mind. So, you know, again, you know, when you, you, you have dreams and stuff. You're like, Why am I having this dream? What is, what is going on, on here? And he says, you know, God is now going to interpret that, that for him. Uh, what's going on in your mind? Okay. Thoughts, questions? So dreams about the future. Daniel's offered praise to God. He's giving all power and glory to God. Uh, David is a man of the hour. Uh, everything is, is, is hinged on this, this uh, revealing of the dream and the interpretation of the dream, right? There's got to be a lot of tension. There's got to be a lot of... Think about the magicians and the conjurers and all these guys. Their head's on the chopping block. Right? So, verse 31. Here we get into the dream. You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue which was large and of extraordinary splendor was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue. Now, here we're getting a dream, we're getting a vision of a statue. And in the dream, I'll tell you ahead of time, it's going to be explaining the head, the arms, the chest, the center part of the body, the legs, the feet in the dream and what it represents. Statues generally represent what? A leader. A, a, a leader. It can represent a nation. Was the Statue of Liberty? Right? Uh, they, they can be uh, uh, they can be self-serving or they can be uh, things that, that designate who the who the people are, uh, but a it's, a, it's a, huh? A it's a symbol. It's a symbol of something. So he's taking the statue, and he's saying there was a great, there was a huge statue. And so, what does the statue mean? Why are you seeing the statue in your dream? And I was going to tell him why. And that's where we're going to end it for tonight. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, verse thirty-two. Verse 32. The head of the statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, 
its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Now this is key to understanding what he's talking about. Because look at it again. And look at it in the form of elements. There's gold is the head. Its breast and arms are of silver. Its belly and its thighs are of bronze. Its legs of iron. Its feet partly of iron, partly of clay. Okay, so here's a statue. It's a representation of something. And statues can be representations of nations, kingdoms, much. 34. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands and it stuck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. So notice that the feet were very perishable of this great statue. 35. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found but the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth there's a great stone that's coming that's going to be thrown at the feet of this statue and the statue's going to crumble. And that stone's going to become a great mountain. Okay? So, before we go any farther, what do you think's going on? Oh, verse 36. And this was a dream. Now we shall tell the interpretation before the king. So if that's all you had to go on, what do you think this is? Iron and clay. Iron and clay that is not as strong and can't hold the weight of everything else. And I think it's the easiest part to. It's kind of like your footing. If you don't have strong footing. But iron is very strong. Yeah, but if it's mixed with clay, then it's not a perfect element. You know what I mean? Yeah, okay. Yeah, it kind of yeah. reminds me of um, like the sowing of the seeds. Like, you know, when they threw the seeds and. Those that laid, you know, good soil, like okay. grew, those who didn't, okay. like, what was it, the, the house that was built? On the rock. On the rock, and mm -hmm. that that was in the sand, mm -hmm. clay, I don't know. That's partly there. What else? What else would you, would you see? If you had to interpret this, how would you interpret it? What, what, do, you, what do you think it's talking about? Weakness. Hmm? Weakness. The weakness is, isn't, is there. In, at the end, at the feet. But there's a progression. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, clay. And at the top is gold. And gold is what? Most precious of the... And then silver is beneath that. Second precious one. And then bronze is beneath silver. And then iron... And clay represents something else. 
think of it in terms of history. They had gold, they had iron, but then later on they came up with bronze because they were able to mix elements, and then later on they came up with iron because they were able to mix elements. And then they also came up with clay because clay was used in the making of pottery and all this other stuff. So think of it in those terms, because again, this is a dream. Okay. Gold is very soft. Yeah. And silver a little harder, and, and then it gets relatively harder. So maybe gold is it, it decreases in magnificence, but it in, increases in strength, except for the feet feet of iron and clay. Right. Exactly. So that's the picture that we have, and so now here comes the interpretation of what you just said. And what she said, and where we're at here. Verse 37. You, O king, are the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom and power and strength and glory. What does the Babylonian Empire represent at this time in history? It's a great kingdom. It's a world power. So what are we talking about? World power. We're talking about world power. Verse 37, You, O king, are the king of kings in that realm. Notice it's small k, not capital K. To whom the king, whom the God of heaven, this is Yahweh, has given the kingdom, the power, and the strength, and the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the feed, or the birds beasts of the field or the birds of the sky he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them you are the head of gold so right there we know he's talking about kingdoms he says we're start, you're the, you're the you're the you're the you're the first kingdom and it's a representation of gold the most precious of the metals Probably the uh, highest they they know at that time, uh, you know, in the in the metal realm, right? Um, so you are the head of gold. Thirty nine. After you, there will rise another kingdom inferior to you. Then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over you. So in other words, right here he says, after you will arise another kingdom inferior to you. This is the silver. Right? Silver is inferior to gold as a precious metal, right? Worth much more? Not that to 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 to, to make it like it's petty, it's not. But this next kingdom that's going to come is going to world dominance, but it will not be as strong as Babylon. It will not be as strong as Nebuchadnezzar. Then a third kingdom of bronze will come and rule over the earth. And then there will be a fourth kingdom, as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things. So think about this. This kingdom is going to, this last kingdom is going to come, it's going to be strong, it's going to be crushing, it's going to be punishing. So like the iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these pieces. And in 41, and in that you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay, partly of iron, 
It will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it the toughness of iron inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. To Adrian's point earlier, uh, iron and clay cannot be mixed together. If you put them in a furnace, they will separate. They will not mix. So this kingdom is going to is 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 going to be calm. It's going to be strong. It's going to be punishing, but it part of it is also going to be weak, and part of it is going to crumble because it's mixed in with the iron, and it it is not sturdy. It's not going to be a stable kingdom, but it's going to be a strong kingdom. Okay. 42, and as the toes and the feet were partly of iron, partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong, part of it will be brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay. They will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. Okay. Head of gold on your outline there. That's Nebuchadnezzar, that's Babylon. Historically, what comes after, and we know this now, at the time this was written, we didn't know it. But what comes after 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 Nebuchadnezzar, after actually Darius comes after Nebuchadnezzar, but then what happens is the Medo M E D O Persian Empire comes and conquers Babylon. And they're the representation of silver. They're not going to be as strong or as powerful, but they do conquer Babylon. They will not last as long. Then the third one is bronze. This one, by the way, only lasts three years, and this is a representation. You know what what the next, next country, the tried world domination was after that? Alexander the Great, the Greeks. His kingdom only lasted three years. I mean, once he got to power, he died very young. But he's the one that brings Greek culture to that to that land, and so he's represent he's a representation of bronze. What is the kingdom that comes after his kingdom that tries to rule the world? Roman Empire. It's strong, it's crushing, but it ends up uh, 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 defeated and weak. Roman Empire basically killed itself. You know, and uh, uh, so, so basically what this is, it's a picture of three kingdoms of world domination uh, of, of kingdoms that have tried to, to, to rule the world. And he's saying, this is the dream. God has, has given this to you. But we put this in our back pocket and remember it because it's going to be referenced later on in Revelation. Because there's going to be one more attempt at world domination. And that's in Revelation. And that's the Antichrist. So these things are referenced in there. That's why they thought Hitler was going to be the Antichrist because he was coming up in that region, he was knocking over country after country, 
and all that stuff, but not everything was in place, and you know it didn't work out for him. And so, uh, but at the time, there were a lot of people, and if you read Christian magazines or Christian articles or even newspaper articles uh, back in the late 30s, you will read stories where people are speculating that he's the Antichrist. And it was good speculation, because based on what we knew, yeah, he came from that area. The problem was that the temple wasn't there, Israel wasn't a nation, so it didn't, it wasn't going to do that. Okay. Now, but there's still more to the, still more to the vision. Any thoughts or questions on that? Okay, forty-four and forty-five. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will be, which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will be left for another people. Notice another people. He's speaking to who? Gentiles. This will be for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but itself will endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, now how would that happen? A stone without hands? God? Without hands, and it crushed the iron, the bronze, and the clay, the silver, and the gold. In other words, this kingdom will overthrow, outdo any kingdom ever, right? Inasmuch, verse 45, inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. Who's the rock, that stone that's cut out of the mountain without hands? Jesus. Jesus. His kingdom will endure forever. You know, we have we have a lot of references to his kingdom will endure and all this. So here you get in Daniel, right? This is this is uh six hundred years before Christ. Six hundred years before Christ and Four hundred and fifty years easy before the Roman Empire. Okay. Uh, just for the last part, to set us up for next week, verse forty-six to forty-nine. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his feet and did homage to Daniel, and gave orders to present to him an offering and fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, "Surely." Your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal this mystery. See what Daniel did? How he did it? But who was the one who's forcing the action? It's God. And so he's revealing himself through all of this, but this 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 pagan king who worshiped pagan idols, the king answers David and said, Surely your God is a God of gods. In other words, your God is above any gods we have. And the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made request to the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was at the king's court. Remember he said last week, a lot of this kind of rings a little bit like Joseph. Mm-hmm. Interpret. Yeah, he interprets and then, you know, he's, he's brought up and, and he's, 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 he's put in this, in this position. Remember, Daniel doesn't forget his buddies. He says, you know, all the, everybody got saved, but he wants his friends close to him. Right? They're part of this story. They're kind of the the backdrop. They're kind of like his support system, in a sense. Because remember, when he goes to pray, who does he ask to go pray? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So you obviously, he thinks a lot of them and leans on them. You know? And uh, 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 so out of this, Daniel is promoted and right there if you stop you think hey everything's good. everything's great everything's good everything's going to be going wonderful for Daniel nope. <laughs> next week is a different story only because of who Daniel is because we identify Daniel as being wisdom he's smart loves God trusts God knows God is in charge of everything he is not willing to bend for something that is not God. So, how do we take that and put that into the church? We should know who God is. Know that God is in charge. Give him all praise, honor, and glory. And not bend for anything that is not God. And that's going to be even more evident next week. Because next week we're going to do the lion's den and how he gets in the lion's den and what's going on in there. So, can you see now why Daniel is not listed with the prophets? Because the the, the prophets were, were ones that went, the Lord told me to tell you based on you know Isaiah, whatever, you know, that if you don't get it right, he's going to come. They're just doing scripture. Daniel's got a whole different thing going on here. So this is why it's wisdom literature. He's not listed with the prophets. He's listed within the writings. He's not he's not that classical prophet, although he is prophetic in what he says and what he does. But uh, uh, so this is kind of the flavor of Daniel. There's there's gonna be Daniel's life little story in here and what God is doing in the middle of all of this and the ups and downs and, and things that are that are going. But out of this you get a strong you, you you get a picture of a strong God, Alpha and Omega, who, who controls the action, who has a plan, and then you have someone who's willing to follow that plan. Right? And then the outcome is is what it is. So I'll hold it right there. Thoughts, questions? A question. Um, through, um, I think it's mentioned several times that, like, the children of Israel, Daniel and his friends, were chosen for one of the things was uh, wisdom. So it sounds like it was an innate wisdom. Mm-hmm. But then, as God works through them, it says that God gave him wisdom. Yes. Let me ask you this one. You and your family were singers. Saying, where'd that gift come from? God. God. So, but when you were little, 
you could sing, but as you matured, and then you gave that gift back to God, and then God developed it even more so, right? And took you places and doing things and all over and stuff like that. So it's like that. It's 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 like God gives us these gifts. He gives us these things, but then at some point we acknowledge that it's God who, who gave this to me. And therefore I need to go to God and able to access this gift. Right? Because he's the source of the gift. We give thanks and praise and glory and honor to God. So, so yeah, and so Daniel reveals that to us. He, he shows us that. And Daniel is so interesting because, again, it's it, it goes back 600 years before Christ, 2,700 years ago, but then it also gives some stuff about what's going to happen in the three 400 years after Nebuchadnezzar. It alludes to Christ, and then it's also going to allude to end-time events later on. But at the same time, in the middle of all of it, is, is Daniel's bio. Who he is and what he's doing. And so through that little bio, God is, God is just pinging all these different things. You know? So Daniel's a pretty cool, cool book. It's not, it's, not, it's not a scary book. Ezekiel was a little scary. But but once we get through it, you know, it's not so scary. But uh, uh, Daniel's pretty cool. So, any other thoughts, questions? So, so next week, even if you want to read ahead, you can. Uh, we'll be in the lion's den. We'll see what happens in the lion's den and how does he get in the lion's den and, and what's going on. And so always look, what is God doing? Why is God doing it? So let's just close in prayer. Father, we just thank you tonight for this uh, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar and the dream, Lord. Uh, Lord, as Daniel did, we give you thanks and praise and glory and honor because we know that uh, you've opened our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our heart to receive, Lord. You've extended mercy and grace to us, Lord, because you so loved us. Lord, we understand that all things come from you that you are good, that you are true. We understand that salvation comes from you and you alone. And so, Lord, this is why we just thank you and give you praise and honor that you chose us before the foundations of the earth, Lord, uh, for this time, for this season, Lord, and for the reasons that you have. So help us, Lord, to be in touch with what you're doing, uh, not only in this world and in our church, but what you're doing in us individually, Lord, and how that all works together as we, we come together as the body of Christ, Lord. So again, we just thank you, Lord, and as we leave the sanctuary, but not your presence, you continue to strengthen us, guide us, and impart your wisdom to us, and, uh, and get us all home safely and back to church on Sunday uh, safely. In Jesus' name we pray. The church said. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, guys.